This is Bob Petrakis with the other side of the news, brought to you by the Free Press. dot org. WCRS Community Radio, 98.3 and 102.1. This is Bob Fetrakis bringing you the other side of the news. In the studio once again, usually we try to do this every month, giving you a sneak preview of this month's Columbus Free Press. So this should be airing tomorrow on uh, Monday, May 2nd. And it won't be on the stands till uh, uh, Wednesday, so uh, or very late uh, on uh, on Tuesday, uh, the third. Michael, uh, you're the managing editor. What's in this issue of the Free Press, and why should people pick it up? Well, first of all, uh, let me say it's uh, good to be sitting with you once again, and uh, the lovely Suzanne at the controls. Uh, always uh, nice to see her. Uh, about the Free Press. Uh, A couple of interesting things that uh, we can learn in this issue of the Columbus Free Press. At the top of that list, I believe, uh, is the fact that uh, our friend Dr. Bob here actually once sat in the same room, or was it a tent, with Moammar Gaddafi. Um, That's... uh, uh, that's some uh, real war storytelling there, boy. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone's going to believe that. But yes, I was in uh, Mr. Gaddafi's tent back in 2009. Uh, I think one of the only groups of uh, Americans to ever get into the country. And uh, I was an honored guest in the first row with uh, former U.S. Representative Cynthia McKenney. I thought I was going as her attorney, Michael, but... As things turn out, uh, Qaddafi wrote the Green Book. His bath party uh, was known as the Green Party. And uh, somehow I had just re- uh, run for governor uh, as an independent Green in Ohio. And there seemed to be a misunderstanding uh, <laughs> from Qaddafi's I'm surprised Qaddafi didn't sue the American Green Party, party. O- well, over that. Uh, I, here was the honored Green Party candidate from Ohio, and so I was invited into the first row, and Mr. Qaddafi explained economically a perfectly sane plan, which I believe got him killed, and uh, I found the uh, email, or actually one of my students do. Uh, I was lecturing on this in, uh, in a course at Columbus State, saying that I thought Qaddafi uh, had been killed because of his movement towards a gold dinar, a currency that would be challenging uh, the euro and particularly the French uh, franc in uh, the old colonial regions of, uh, uh, of France uh, uh, that they controlled the colonial areas there uh, in Africa. And uh, one of my students who, you know, thought this is pretty crazy, uh, went to WikiLeaks while I was lecturing and put in gold dinar and out pops this email where uh, Sidney Blumenthal, the key aide to Hillary Clinton, while she was Secretary of State. Yeah, while she was Secretary of State, had written this thing, uh, citing sources and Mr. Sarkozy that they were going to essentially going to kill Gaddafi because of his gold, the mm. gold dinar, uh, 144 tons of gold. The memo says 143 tons. John Perkins had estimated 144 tons. And for his oil. Yeah, and uh, in the article that uh, you have written for this uh, edition of the Free Press, 
that lays out some pretty nefarious uh, policy, uh, kind of uh, secret policy of the United States. And I, and I think that's shocking uh, reading. It, it, it's almost as if it's hard to believe uh, but there's, you know, we've uncovered a lot of things in the, in our history that were hard to believe, and uh, you, usually when people say hard to believe or conspiracy theory, we know we're about to win an award or or right. break major news. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, it, it, like I said, uh, that was one of the more interesting uh, tidbits, facts that uh, can be gleaned in this issue of the free press. But there are many. Uh, many more, and I think among the most interesting, after uh, Bob's uh, dealings with uh, Muammar Gaddafi, are ones I'll get in a minute. But I want to share a little story with you. Uh, you have uh, you have a story where you were uh, face to face, eye to eye with uh, a monster of sorts, and uh, I had a similar uh, occasion in my life. I uh, was coming out of the news studio at uh, AFN headquarters in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, we were the network television uh, headquarters. I was coming out of the news, out of the news studio, and bumped headlong into Alexander Haig. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, Alexander. And he immediately said, "I'm in charge here." <laughs> yes. That's a famous uh, editorial cartoon, and I once met up with uh, a number of editorial cartoonists. They were having a convention at uh, the Wexner Center of cartoonists. Uh, Lucy Caswell has the uh, uh, cartoon uh, museum there. And uh, I was, I was uh, bartending at Street Scene. I was working my way through college. And uh, I brought that up and uh, they all laughed and said that, the, that there was more than one editorial cartoonist who had <laughs> Alexander Egg doing the I'm in charge here um, one of them one of them I remember he was wearing a miter and was standing at the top of the uh, of the Vatican roof saying I'm because something happened at the same time where the Pope took ill or something or they right. <coughs> yeah, was that the assassination? It was yeah. the assassination yeah. of Ronald Reagan. So Reagan had been assassinated. We didn't know what kind of shape he was in. Clearly the person in charge is called the vice Att president. Yeah. Right. Hinckley, uh, the assassination attempt. The vice president would be in charge. And next in line, of course, would be the speaker, speaker of the House, of the house right. followed by the, uh, the, the Senate the president pro tem. Pro tem. Yeah. And then, then comes Secretary right, of State. Right, right, right. But uh, there was a hastily called press conference. Right, right. And of course, uh, but I Mr. believe the, I, I believe Pope John Paul II. There was the the Turkish man who yeah, at the same had an time attempt, there was assassination. Right, and that's what spawned the I'm in charge here with him wearing a mitre. Um, but anyway, the cartoonists all said that that but everybody claims responsibility for that that particular political cartoon. And let me just add one little. Uh, anecdote to that is Alexander Haig had the steeliest, beadiest eyes I've ever seen on a human being. Uh, he, he looked like a reptoid. And, <laughs> and he was an icy character. And uh, I heard later on 
I heard from the engineers in the TV studio that he, he had come to be interviewed for a program. And I, th I think it was Herb Glover, which a name that probably doesn't mean anything to anybody in, in your audience, but uh, he had a program and he, was, he interviewed people and uh, Heg was doing it. And they were about three-fourths of the way through this program and Haig said, stop the tape. And he didn't like something that the interviewer had said. So he ordered them to stop the tape and start from the beginning. And, and before they started up again, he told them exactly what he could ask and he couldn't ask. And which uh, media was this? Television. Uh, AFN. And, that, and that's the, the, the Armed Forces Network. It's the official uh, media. Michael, it worked well in authoritarian countries. There's no reason we shouldn't adopt dictatorship to the media in a free country. Well, you know, that, that's what the Stars and Stripes uh, is all about. Well, yeah, and that's the other. That's the print arm uh, of the U.S. military uh, worldwide. AFN is the broadcast arm of the U.S. military, uh, and it exists uh, entirely overseas, so, uh, you know, most Americans have never are subjected to what comes over AFN. Well, one story about Alexander Haig, which actually he should get a little credit for, is uh, according to Woodward and Bernstein in the final days, he was moved into the White House uh, to be the chief of staff in the final days when Richard Nixon was running around drunk talking to portraits uh, you know, of I, I, Abe I can, Lincoln. I can, I've heard that <laughs> what story. What would you do, Abe? Uh, <laughs> 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 Literally with like a scotch in his hand. <clears throat> and the reason he was brought in... Because, because of his of, authoritarian style? Because, yes, and because they feared that Nixon might launch a nuclear attack Oh. To, to save his presidency. It's so like, they needed somebody who could scare the scare crap out of him. Out of him. <laughs> exactly. Well, they, they had to bring in the beady-eyed reptilian. Who, not too many. When Nixon went, give me the box, General. The tongue would have came out. The reptilian. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the next generation, of course, of that same type persona was Dick Cheney. Anyway, uh, uh, you mentioned something about Dick Cheney. Okay, who is, do we have a service? Who is eviler? Dick Cheney or General Haig? I got to go with Cheney. Oh, I do too. I mean, too. He, I do. he's I, yeah. Darth Vader. Oh yeah, he's the Dar He's gone to the Darth, and he's got that little half kind of frozen Doctor Evil type grin there. On Fark.com, they do Photoshop contests. I won one one time, turning Dick Cheney reptilian. I I actually photoshopped him to have scales on it. it was it's still his image, but. Uh, I turned him into a true reptile. Anyway, it was Andy Rooney who once wrote that every now and then we really need a dictator. Hmm. That a dictator would be good. But the trouble is, with the dictator, is you never know if it's going to be a good dictator or a bad yeah, dictator. A, a benevolent um, dictator. Uh, yeah. So, or a... Crazy megalomaniac Dick Cheney dictator. Yeah, and and it seems like you know 
that uh, being a dictator turns people into uh, megalomaniacs. I mean, it, it just I goes with the territory, I guess. Yeah, there's a famous quote, I, which, I forget which famous American made it, but said, you know, it's not, you don't look to somebody to see what they're like through adversity. Give them a lot of power, and then their real character comes out. I think that is a, a pretty good adage, because it, it, it most likely <laughs> Anyone is can true. get through adversity. But right, right, right. right. <laughs> but yeah. speaking of uh, authoritarianism, and dictatorships, I think uh, one of the more important uh, pieces. Well, let's let's pair them together. There are two important pieces about things going on at Ohio State. Uh, Gary Richards wrote a story about the, the the atmosphere amongst Latinos at Ohio State, and I found it a little bit shocking. Uh, I think things have changed a little bit. As you know, Bob, I went to college late in life. I'd been in the military for uh, quite a while, so I ended up going back to school in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, it was mid-90s before I graduated. It took me six years to graduate, and not because I was lazy or anything. It was because I was a journalism major who also... Uh, I took literally. Uh, was it took, because of Dick Sten? No, it, no. I, although was I, it because of Bernie's? It, it, it be, well, Bernie's had to, stashes and all Come of clean. those. <laughs> uh, these are all. I, I only lived a block and a half from uh, Dick Sten. <laughs> you know, and the famous uh, two-dollar pictures of old style on Wednesdays uh, uh-huh. lured me there like a moth to a flame. And uh, of course, uh, our friend Dan Dugan. I used to visit his little establishment which was just across the street from there. <coughs> but anyway... So the, you were the, lured into classes on utopianism no, and realized I, that you actually were living a near-utopian life uh, yeah. that close to Dick Sten and the mighty stashes. Yeah, uh, the, what we called the tri-bar area. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> what, what was the third? Larry's? I forget the name of the place. No, there was another place that was just down from Dick's Den. And, and, and they literally made a triangle. Uh, uh, Dick's, Stashes, and this other place, and I forget not the, the name. Pardon? The Dube? No, not the Dube. Uh, the Dube was right on the corner of but, Blake and Hyde. But High. you weren't a Bernie's fan. Oh, I was. Yeah. I, I, I was there uh, all the time. In fact, one of the guys I used to hang out and play pinball uh, with is now a judge. A Republican judge. <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name, but anyway. But he has such a subtle uh, wrist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I, I, I spent so much time at OSU because I also took entomology classes. In fact, I literally took every entomology course that Ohio State and offered. We at the Free Press, at the Free Press offices and gardens, have turned to you many times <laughs> to ask you: Is hey, should we be afraid? <laughs> But anyway, so it took me a while. But the point I wanted to make was the atmosphere was uh, the the general feeling about uh, about campus life was uh, inclusive of people, and I think it was something that was stressed as a matter of policy uh, to be inclusive. Well, something's changed. And I think, too, 
let's look at the other article about OSU and the and how the campus police and the administration at Ohio State um, reacted to peaceful protests uh, on the campus. Well, I know how what G. Gordon Gee would have done. He would have cracked down with milk and cookies. He, you know what? This is WCRS 98.3, 102.1, your community radio. I, I had the good fortune and, and pleasure of uh, being friends with Gordon, Gordon Gee. Or as you knew him, Gordo. But no, I never called him, I, I did call him, I, I call him E sometimes, but uh, we got to know each other very well, and I know for sure that that that. Gordon Gee would have reacted differently uh, well, to that I, I situation. I literally was there when uh, he came out and offered them sandwiches and uh, and cookies uh, <coughs> at a protest when he was there. And he would uh, he would not turn down the opportunity to have a dialogue, especially when it's an organization, right? A a, a, a formed organization, a stated one, uh, a, registered. I'm sure. Uh, with the student union, and uh, and so he would have never turned down that opportunity. And again, uh, the way you handle uh, student groups, uh, I'm reminded that this week, May 4th, is the anniversary, of course, of Kent State. Perhaps the worst handling of student protests. I don't think perhaps. I think absolutely, most certainly, uh, the the worst handling uh, of the situation and uh, thanks to uh, reporters, investigative reporters such as yourself, we know today that uh, James Rhodes sanctioned the firing and and, and that, that took a long time to get out to the public and and you were saying earlier, Bob, that the more you, you, you find the story that is hard to believe um, journalism awards follow when, when 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 truth comes to light, and it's something that's hard to believe. And I'll tell you what's hard to believe: a sitting governor sanctioning the firing by national guard on peacefully protesting students and on a, a state university campus, and essentially uh, conspiring, collaborating with. The FBI to crack down on students where they wanted an incident. The, the anti-war, anti-war peace movement, anti-black power movement. There was a whole operation known as COINTELPRO, uh, which this <coughs> fell under, uh, and really it was the challenging of U.S. foreign policy. They got those students killed, and and also I'm reminded. Uh, I think because of the four died, we remembered it, but people. Uh, need to recall that just prior to Kent State, uh, weeks earlier, was the longest continuous college riot in U.S. history was at, he, OSU. at OSU. And yes. 10 people were shot, but they were shot with birdshot uh, and rubber bullets. Rubber bullets. But, you know, when the shotgun shells were birdshot and they shoot you in the leg, they don't. Right. Kill you, but actually, uh, you know, uh, people were shot here. And the university closed for nine days, I believe, uh, something yeah. like that. Uh, but now here's the thing, Bob. This is what I wanted to get to. 
I'm not saying, I don't want to say a good thing came from uh, incidents like OSU and Kent State, but something did actually happen. Uh, the, the shocking nature of the story of Kent State reverberated around the country, and it, 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 it actually made uh, people rethink what was going on. And the, the, the anti-war movement changed things in terms of how uh, universities deal with minorities. Black studies program, women's studies program, uh, the, uh, the health center there, you know, right. essentially uh, a building where, where black culture <coughs> and black students can go. Right. Uh, and discuss things. But that was the most stunning thing in the article that Gary Richards wrote, is that th- there's no space uh, for Latino Latina and, and students and to actually, go to and on using campus. To, a professor's office, office as a meeting place. And having I, I, was, it, I was stunned, out of all the things in that article, the fact that there's no lounge area, building, space You mean there's aside. not space enough in the union? Anyway, I, having had... Uh, a teacher's office space at OSU, I can tell you firsthand that they're not very big, no bigger than this room that we're in right now. So their meetings might be uncomfortable, one (laughs) would think. I remember the old student union, every organization, registered organization on campus, had a space, an office space, uh, from which to work. And so the, there's the point that I, want, I wanted to go back to the aftermath of Kent State and Ohio State and the protests there. Things changed at universities to be more inclusive, be more understanding of, you remember in those days we talked about generation gap. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you found administrators and professors, they changed their thought to try to bridge that gap to understand. And so we went into an era of understanding. The same thing happened in the military. The, the, be inclusive to understand people of different ethnicities. We took classes uh, all the time about you know, how to treat other pe- people different from yourself and how to get along. And the same thing happened on campuses. But I fear, after reading the pieces that are going into this issue of the free press, that things have changed. Things have changed since I left OSU. Things have changed since I taught at OSU early in this century, very early in this century. So. In the past 15 years, things have changed. And I don't want to point any fingers, Donald Trump, but I think he's one person you can point fingers at. I think you can also point fingers at neocons. You can also point fingers at John Kasich, who appoints capitalists and super capitalists uh, to the board of uh, directors at Ohio State. Uh, What do they call the... The board, the, 
The, uh, yeah. uh, the executive committee of the bourgeoisie. Yes, that's what they call them. <laughs> but, but, but you, see, you see where I'm, I'm saying we're going back to that authoritarian attitude. That It's a neocon And part attitude. of it is reflected by the fact that you have to now live on campus uh, through your sophomore year. Right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, could you imagine baby boomers uh, being forced to do that? I mean, it just would not tolerate it. It's like they're going to be off campus in a hippie commune. Right. They, they, you know, they ain't going to be putting up with, you must be in the dorm. And what about my apartment on 13th Avenue, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we don't know what went on there, but we're pretty sure most of it was legal, Michael. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's just say that, that it was legal. <coughs> but, I'm, but I'm worried a little bit about, about what's happening. And, and you know... Well, it's a land-grant institute, and if you, you read the one article uh, by the students, yeah. oh, one of the problems they have there is, you know, they want to sell off the energy. Yeah, what you, well, I, mean, it, I mean, how do you do this? And they want to do it... Without transparency, where there's, there's no accountability, and really, it looks like this land grant institute wants to smash uh, the communication workers' union, you know, and bring in you know twelve buck an hour jobs instead of union jobs. But yeah, and what what doesn't make any sense? I mean, you know, the McCracken power plant uh, is uh, an iconic uh, image. On you know, you you have. The facilities in place. What 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 need is there to privatize what has worked for so long? Um, what's behind that? The big ripoff. I, I actually believe uh, somebody is going to get really rich off this, and we've written about it in the free press. Uh, you know, those the money they got from the parking situation was supposed to go in part uh, the extra money to provide. Uh, scholarships. There wasn't a single one given out last year, but the money makers, uh, or I like to call them friends of Wexner, uh, in New Jersey, out of state, always seem to make millions of dollars off handling these large pools of money. Uh, I think it's uh, the same thing that's been happening. They're vacuuming out the land-grant institution. Uh, I think Mr. Wexner has completely changed the culture of that college. Uh, I think he destroyed the indigenous, uh, you know, record companies and uh, head shops. And uh, when he took over that board, he's brought in these chains and malls. Uh, you know, they're trying to make it something for your grandparents rather than the college students themselves. And, and he, you know, I... Have heard from a lot of people, and I and I know someone personally, and you do too, uh, who was affected by the most recent gentrification. Our uh, esteemed music writer, <coughs> excuse me, John Petrick, and uh, what's he writing about this issue? <coughs> um, some shows that he saw. Uh, most importantly, Buckethead. Buckethead. All yeah, right. Buckethead. And uh, he also went to a, a, a musical at Franklin Heights High School. Uh, so <laughs> interesting reading as always. But he was affected personally by the most recent uh, gentrification move on the campus, or the campus area, I should say. And also, uh, you mentioned Bernie's earlier. 
John Petrick, if, if those of you don't know, is also Johnny Go and Johnny Go's House of Music, was, which is, had been a campus area fixture, as was Bernie's. They've both been shuttered because they're, they're remodeling that whole block, mm-hmm. continuing what they've done before. That by eminent domain... Gentrification. Yes, they've used the power of Ohio State across the street, granted by the city of Columbus, to essentially snatch and destroy student culture. Well, back in 91, when I believe my timing is right here, when they created uh, the Campus Partners, uh, myself and... Pasquale Grado and Brad Shemp, uh, we had written a study on the University uh, Area Business Association and, and impact on the, in what would happen in the future. And privately, we discussed uh, what happened. Brad was the president of the University Community Area Business Association, and Pasquale, uh, who's an architect, was part of that of that organization also. Uh, But privately we discussed the possibility of what was going to happen with the advent of campus partners and ultimately exactly what we feared took place and gentrification happened. We lost South Campus area, Mr. Mustard's uh, those places that down there. Beer by the Bucket Place. Well, that was Papa Joe's. Which, Papa Joe's. Which uh, and, burnt uh, to the ground mysteriously. And we'll leave it on that note. You're listening to the other side of the news. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure.